live. Hello and welcome to an exclusive Next Level webinar, From Uncertainty to Opportunity, How to Capitalize in Commercial Real Estate in 2021. I'm your host, Adam Carswell, and today we are joined by Dan Lukowitz and Seth Bradley. Before we get into it, Dan, Seth, happy to have you guys here. I guess we'll start, I said Dan and I said Seth, so we'll start with Dan first. How are you feeling today and uh, how's it going over there in Michigan? Yeah, great. Feeling great, Adam. Thanks so much for putting this together. I'm super excited. I know that we're going to provide a lot of value to people and uh, definitely excited to be part of this. Seth, let's get it. Let's hear it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Feeling fantastic. Having a great day. Hope everyone else is as well. Uh, looking forward to providing a lot of value to all of the listeners and watchers today. All right. So here we go, guys. If you're live with us here today, one more time, hello, and thank you for investing your most valuable resource with us, your time. Let's go ahead and get the chat box warmed up. Uh, go ahead and punch in who you are, where you're tuned in from, um, and always like to switch it up at this part. So today we'll go with uh, your, your favorite restaurant. Go ahead and punch that in there. Dan, Seth, Aaron, everyone in here, I'm going to encourage everyone to <laughs> go ahead and post that in the chat. And make sure you, I think it gives you an option to send to all panelists or everyone. So make sure you give Pay attention to the options there in the chat box. All right. Uh, if you're joining us on the replay, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this message and check out the show notes for links connected to today's message. Um, if you're listening on the Dream Chasers platform as well, please drop a five-star rating below and follow a link to the video replay. Uh, that always helps us bring on more high-caliber guests, just like Seth and Dan, which you're going to find out here today. So here we go. Time for the presentation, From Uncertainty to Opportunity, How to Capitalize in Commercial Real Estate in 2021. Uh, 2020 was quite a year, guys. And for a lot of us out there, and I think for most of us here, I think, I think if you made it to this room, um, more likely than not, you actually probably had a better 2020 than some would expect. And that's because you were able to identify that this is a time to make moves. And that's something that Seth and Dan definitely did in 2020. And they're going to bring their expertise here today to kind of enlighten us on how we can continue to make effective moves coming into the new year. So going to get a ton of value today, a little bit of a backstory. Um, so Seth, Dan, and I are all in the Next Level Mastermind. And for this quarter, the way we do this is on a quarterly basis, you get new accountability groups or new accountability partners. And so uh, we had the, the honor and the privilege of coming together and we're like, you know, we're, we got to hold each other accountable. Now we got to do something. We got to do something fun. So you know me. I was like, guys, we got to do a webinar. <laughs> so here we go. And we're like, okay, so Dan is really knowledgeable about this topic. Seth is really knowledgeable about this topic. How do we combine it and put on something very unique? And so Dan's topic of expertise today is the Industrial Revolution 2.0. And Seth is regulations, the SEC regulations and the changes that we're seeing in the commercial real estate space, especially on the investing side of things, there's been a lot of changes within the past year. And the definition of accredited investor has changed things such as that. So we're going to learn a lot today <laughs> is what I'm getting at. Um, so here we go real quick. I, I would like for um, Seth and Dan for you guys to kind of, well, you know what, let me give your formal bio here first, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So Dan is a seasoned real estate veteran over 15 years of experience in many facets of the real estate industry. And he started his career house hacking and he quickly moved from flipping houses um, in, the, in the Detroit metro area to eventually moving over to a company called Renaissance Real Estate Ventures, which specializes in the acquisition, financing, renovation and resale of single family residential properties in the booming city of Detroit, Michigan. 
you know what, Dan, I, I moved your bio over here and I just realized I missed a big chunk of it. He's in the, he's in the net lease space now. That's how he got started though. He's in the triple net uh, brokerage space and is on a mission to become the number one name in triple net brokerage. He was just telling us about a nice deal that he's working on right now before the call. So uh, just definitely something you want to get connected to, especially on LinkedIn. Um, he will definitely boost your network. And then Seth is a real estate entrepreneur an expert at achieving passive income as a highly paid professional. He's closed billions of dollars in real estate transactions as a real estate attorney, broker, and investor. And he's the managing partner of Law Capital Partners, which is a private equity firm focused on multifamily and opportunistic acquisitions. He's a farmer or former, <laughs> maybe a farmer, I don't know, <laughs> a former big law attorney and is now the man managing partner, as we mentioned, of his own firm. Oh, Bradley Law Limited. There we go helping his clients with their real estate and asset protection needs. He's also the host of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, which educates attorneys and other professionals on how to stop trading their time for money so that they, they can participate when they want to, not because they have to. There we go. <laughs> All right, so it's story time. We're gonna have these guys kind of share their stories and backgrounds here with you too, real quick. And then uh, this will be for about 10 minutes. And then after that, guys, we're diving straight into Q&A, as we mentioned, on Industrial Revolution 2.0 and some of these the new laws and regulations that we're seeing in the SEC. So um, we'll flip it back this way now. We'll start with Seth and then over to Dan. Let's hear that. Let's hear that story. So we're doing like a quick intro right now? Yeah, we'll do like, you know, just tell us who's Seth Bradley, where you come from, what are you working on now? Cool, man. So what's up, everybody? Uh, coming to you from sunny San Diego, California. It, you know, I, I grew up in West Virginia, really small town, blue collar. And that's kind of all I knew was, you know, get the best job you can get, work hard. Um, and, and that's kind of the extent of it. Uh, but I, so I started out thinking that I wanted to be a doctor and I went to med school for a little bit, wasn't into it, uh, made the really difficult decision to walk away ended up getting my MBA followed by my law degree. And then, you know, I've, so I've done the entire gamut of graduate school. So if anyone needs advice on that, or if they're thinking about going into graduate school, I give advice on that all the time. Cause I've been to all of them. So anyways, I, I finished at the top of my class in law school, worked in big law for six years. Now have my own solo firm, uh, started investing in residential real estate in 2013, fix and flips, buying holds, wholesales, you know, all that kind of stuff that you do, uh, started graduating into small multifamily and now into the larger syndications, both actively and passively. There you go. Love it. Yeah. I, I like how you, uh, you know, you began your journey in West Virginia and now you're, you know, just crushing it on all cylinders on the West coast. It's, I don't think, I mean, how many other people that you grew up with kind of <laughs> had a similar life story? Not too many, man. Most people that grow up in West Virginia stay in West Virginia. It's, it's a beautiful place, but there's just, you know, there's, there's limited opportunity there, unfortunately. Yeah, love it. Love it. All right, Mr. Lukowitz, I know you've got quite the background as well. One thing I forgot to mention too, I mean, you've got experience working for a very large and successful company and that's Amazon. And I know a lot of your sales uh, training that you, that you received from Amazon, you've transferred over into real estate as well. So Absolutely. let's hear it. Let's hear the D. Luke story. Yeah, so I'm Dan Lukowitz, very happy to be here. Um, as Adam mentioned, I am a commercial real estate broker. I specialize in investment sales, triple net investment sales. Uh, a little bit about me, in uh, 2005, I helped start a company with some friends called Disability Made Easy, and that company's still in existence. Basically, that company was designed to modify homes to make them handicap accessible. I handled all the sales and marketing. However, that's really when I got my interest in real estate because I watched as our project manager would go to a site 
take out his graph paper and it was almost like watching an artist taking something that doesn't work and changing it with his magic to something that that does and that really stuck with me um from there i started uh flipping homes as adam mentioned i started doing what's called house hacking which is where you buy a home for yourself usually with conventional financing where appropriate renovate it live in it for a certain amount of time many people do it for at least two years so that you can um, be exempt from capital gains taxes and then sell it. That's something that I've done successfully asked afterwards. And uh, through that process, I really, that's where I got my feet wet. Um, I hired out all the, the different contractors myself, paid them a little extra money and told them I was going to annoy them, watch over their shoulders so they could teach me every aspect of what they were doing. And uh, at that point, I really fell in love with uh, home renovation. So I continued to buy homes in Oakland County, the surrounding areas around um, Detroit. And um, that was during the, the end of the recession. And as we got out of the recession, the um, prices started going up, foreclosures started drying up. I moved my entire company to the city of Detroit. We rebranded and called ourselves Renaissance Real Estate Ventures, hired a lot of inner city uh, workers, trained them um, and, and helped them to you know, be self-sufficient and uh, started doing the same exact thing in the city of Detroit. Um, around this time, or actually a little bit prior, I actually uh, was the, uh, the, the head of a sales team at a title insurance agency. So I was able to gain that type of expertise in title, which is typically a very elusive aspect of real estate. And um, from there, I was recruited to be a business development executive at Amazon, as Adam mentioned. And I worked with Amazon Business directly with sellers, onboarding them onto our platform to sell their products. And eventually, all that led me to commercial real estate brokerage, uh, which is where I am now, uh, specializing in things like medical office buildings, quick service restaurants, pharmacies, shopping centers, automotive, tire, uh, and repair parts stores, et cetera, et cetera. I've also produced a, a course on commercial real estate investing and uh, on um, becoming a commercial real estate broker. That's called the CRE Pro course. And that's an incredible project that I'm working on with another fellow next level mastermind, Zach Racinger, and uh, brings us to today where I'm just uh, completely immersed in commercial real estate and, and loving every moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that story. And um, I think one thing you forgot to mention, and you know, I was going to bring it up, Dan, is, uh, <laughs> is your electronic music history. I know we can relate there. There's a, there's a very uh, notable, I don't know if you call it concert, but a uh, festival, which actually probably didn't happen last year, <laughs> called the Detroit Electronic Music Festival. And when Dan and I first met, uh, that's, that's where we clicked. And actually, I know Seth, Seth's got a little bit of a <laughs> party boy history in his background as well. So we know Just how to have fun, guys. Just a little bit, just a little bit. We got to keep it clean. Got to keep it clean now. No, but it, it's always always fun to to you know make friends on all levels. And uh, yeah, so guys, Dan and Seth are gonna you know we're we're going open format here. Uh, you heard their backgrounds. You heard their stories. As we mentioned, you know, we're talking about where you can capitalize in commercial real estate this year, specifically um, to the theme of the industrial revolution 2.0, which you know I've already got plenty of questions coming up here for both of you guys. But again, want to encourage. Um, our audience to just go ahead and either use the Q let's go with the Q and a box guys. If you have any questions for Dan and Seth, as we make our way through here, just use the Q and a box and we'll get those questions answered. Um, so yeah, here we go. I'm going to flip it over to Seth here just to start things. Cause you were kind of telling us your story um, getting prepared for today. We don't have to go into detail, but you happen to stumble upon a, a gold mine of knowledge, you know, almost within a few hours before us doing this. So you're, you've got some, some valuable insight as far as, you know, the SEC regulations we're looking at this year um, on the commercial investing side of things, kind of just high level run us through some of your key takeaways from what you just learned. 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'm here to talk about the, the recent and potential changes to the SEC rules around investing in securities and capital raising. But I, I've got to start out to everyone and say that even though I am an attorney, I'm not your attorney. So anything said today is for informational purposes only and not legal advice. And I think that goes for anything that Adam and Dan say as well. Um, please reach out to your own counsel or engage with me, whatever you want to do here. But there are, you know, really two big changes that I want to focus on today. And, you know, the first one Adam had mentioned is the definition of accredited investor. So quickly, previously, the definition was based on a financial model. And a lot of you already know that, you know, you have to have 200K of income over the past two years with a reasonable expectation of the same to continue or 300K if you're married or Otherwise, $1 in net worth, excluding your personal residence. Um, they've kind of made some changes here. So the idea, so what, what happens here, there, there aren't any changes so far, and there's nothing in the pipeline as far as limiting that definition further, but there are murmurs of people potentially actually limiting that further by increasing those limitations. Um, just because, you know, those rules were made a long time ago. There's been inflation of the dollar since then, and they're just not as meaningful as they used to be. Now, again, there's nothing in the pipeline, but we'll see where that goes. But the new changes that officially came into law in December of 2020 opened up that definition to a certification model. Now, so far, if you have a Series 7, 65, or 82, uh, you, you're already qualified as an accredited investor, regardless of your financial situation. So, you know, that's really not too exciting for us unless you already have one of those accreditations. Uh, because, you know, it's hard to get, it takes a lot of time and effort and you've got to take those, those long exams. But the exciting part is what could be coming in 2021. And that's that the SEC is in the process of allowing licensed institutions to offer a course and an exam to allow anyone who passes to qualify as an accredited investor. Um, we don't know what that course is going to look like, but rumor has it that it will be much less strenuous than those series certifications that we just talked about. It could possibly be just a day's time or over a weekend. So, you know, just think about it. I mean, why is that exciting? It's exciting because if you're a non-accredited investor and you want access to deals, this will be able to provide you a much easier avenue uh, to get accredited and start participating in these commercial deals that you're seeing. Um, on the other side of the table, if you're raising capital, this obviously will expand your base of investors. So that's, that's number one, the definition of accredited investor. Again, they haven't put these rules into place yet uh, as far as this, you know, uh, expedited uh, exam process, but it's looking to come down the pipeline here in 2021. Uh, the second one is really about capital raising. So for syndicators like, like us, uh, this is likely the most important potential SEC rule change. So let's, let's quickly go over the current rule because a lot of people you know, get this messed up. Um, a lot of folks don't necessarily follow these rules 100%, but simply put, currently you cannot pay people to raise money for you and you cannot raise money for someone else for pay unless you're a licensed broker dealer and there's the licensed broker dealer piece it's, it's hard to get that license it's expensive to get that license so people just can't you know do that over the weekend so the only time an unlicensed person can raise capital is if they are legitimate co-sponsors in the deal and in order to be quote unquote legitimate you have to be performing substantial duties as your primary role or roles in the deal. And that role cannot be capital raising. So, and, and, and the, the hallmark is really, you cannot have any transaction based compensation, whether that's in the form of equity, 
for instance, if you raise a million dollars, you get 10% of the, the GP or put another way, um, you know, you get a certain percentage of the capital that you raise. Either way, that's called transaction-based compensation. And it's the hallmark of being a broker dealer. And you cannot do that under the current rules. Um, so if you receive compensation in that way, you, you're, a, you're practicing as an unlicensed broker dealer. Now, we all know that that goes on, but right now that is not legal. That is not permitted under the SEC rules. But there are some changes in the wind. SEC has recognized that this type of compensation is going on. Um, there have been some investigations that you may have heard about, um, but they've also recognized that it's a problem and they need to change the rules because for these smaller deals, and when I say smaller, I mean like, you know, five to $10 million or under for the equity raise, it's hard to get broker dealers to commit to those raises because they're not big enough. And even if they do, it's expensive. They're going to charge you five to 9%, something like that. So it basically makes them unavailable for smaller operators. A lot of the deals that we vet, a lot of the deals that we put out. So in October of 2020, SEC came out with some proposed rules, not official yet, uh, combat that issue. And they came out with two tiers of finders. So tier one essentially says, if I give you a list of investors, I'm a finder. I give you a list of investors. I can get compensated for providing that list, uh, but I cannot be involved whatsoever. No communication, no introductions, nothing like that. I just provide a list. So that's, a, that's not quite as important as tier number two, because that can actually be useful for us. So tier number two is much more exciting. Um, it allows people to go out um, to people that you already know. So it allows, let's say me or you as a finder to reach out to our investors, bet them, qualify them and present and explain the offering documents to someone for a deal and make the introduction to the direct operator. And then you as the finder can actually get transaction-based compensation, which is not allowed right now, but you can potentially do that if and when this rule becomes law. So. Uh, you know, you can get paid a flat fee or you can get one or two or 10% of the capital raise, whatever, you can get that transaction-based compensation. So that would all be okay under the potential uh, new laws. But again, that has not passed yet. Um, it, who knows how long it's going to take for them to pass it, uh, but it could potentially be coming down the pipeline in 2021. Um, and there are a lot of limitations to this. I'm not going to go into detail right now, um, but, you know, a couple of them are just, you know, your investors need to be accredited. Um, you must already know those investors. There's got to be a written agreement between the finder and the sponsor. And of course, you've always got to disclose your arrangement between uh, yourself, the finder and the sponsors, uh, you know, you're, that you're going to get paid. So, and there are some other, again, limitations. There's a ton of them, but it can really open up that rule for both capital raisers and for sponsors to get more capital easier um, and then that combined with the accredited investor rule change could really just open the floodgates up for investments in these commercial deals that we will all want access to. Um, but again, we've got to wait and see where the SEC goes with it. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, to me, the, I think the most compelling thing is, as you were kind of mentioning, you know, the potential of, I mean, so many more people to get involved with this space than what the limits are right now. It is, in certain regards, high barrier to entry. And, um, you know, I just, I look at people like, for example, in our mastermind, someone like Raquel Boris, who just has this insane network, this insane reach. Um, to me, she, you know, she seems like a perfect fit for someone who could, who could be collecting on a, on a finder's fee, which hasn't been able to be done before. So Rocky, I hope you see this. <laughs> um, 
Now we had a question come in from Neil Greenbaum and I, Neil, what's going on, man. I know I've seen you on LinkedIn and you're the guy that always wears different shirts with different phrases on it. So that's cool. And um, as far as I know, you are a, uh, a legal guy as well. So Seth, I don't know if he's trying to grill you here, but <laughs> Neil's got a question for you. You just came in a bit late in a bit late, Seth, what's the name of the law? Um, is it federal? Is it in Congress? Just curious. Thanks. So which one are we talking about? Are we talking about the accredited investor? Are we talking about the, uh, the finder? law um either one is going to be regulated by the sec so we're talking uh, about federal finder, law the finder, the finder yeah so we're talking about federal law again that one was just proposed so that one is not law yet it's just a proposed uh rule by the sec uh what happens is uh attorneys sec attorneys other folks other uh experts can actually comment on that proposed rule over an indefinite amount of time. We don't know how long that's going to be. The SEC can make changes to that proposed rule based on those comments. And then eventually, if they want to pass it, they can pass it. And it might look just like they proposed it, or it could be more or less restrictive. We don't know. Uh, but right now we're in that comment period uh, before it actually becomes law, if it becomes law at all. Very cool. Uh, you know, even even Dan, Dan strikes me as someone who, I mean, even myself, this is something that could benefit so many people that aren't necessarily directly raising capital every day. So, um, but let, let's, right, let's Adam. just, real, what's yeah, that? I mean, if you're, yeah, someone like you, that's a connector and you know, a ton of people and you just want to place a little bit of capital and you're not doing it full time under this rule, if it passes in its current form, you'd be able to do that and get compensated for it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's so, it's so cool that it's finally happening now. And I think it's a perfect time when it seems like more and more capital is starting to uh, flood out of Wall Street. So, um, Dan, here we go. And I know Paul, Paul commented earlier, he was really excited to, to dig into this with you. Um, any other questions on the SEC as we make our way through here? You know, we're doing our best to, to, to provide as much value on both ends. We know it's, it's like, uh, I can't remember the phrase I used before. Take a pe it's not peanut butter and jelly. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. We're smashing it together and hopefully it's a big hit. And I think we're, we're hitting it pretty, pretty hard right now. So anyways, Industrial Revolution 2.0, um, you know, we, we just talked about the opportunities within the changes of regulations um, when it comes to capital raising and investing. Where are the opportunities with all the changes that we're seeing in the industrial space. I know for you, Dan, you've, you talked about like uh, distribution centers and your, your history with Amazon. So you're probably seeing things that we haven't seen yet. What are you seeing and how are we gonna capitalize on this? Yeah, great question. So first of all, Seth, that was some incredible information well put together. I really appreciate that myself. I do believe that that information has practical applications for quite a few uh, different types of individuals. So in terms of industrial revolution 2.0, as I like to call it, what it is in short is it's the transformation of the retail experience. It's products going off of retail shelves and finding themselves inside of industrial warehouses. And really, this is a phenomenon that's been going on for a while. Um, E-commerce has been on a steady increase for quite some time. However, the way that I look at it is the last 10 months with this pandemic, there are many, many different um, phenomena that have been really boosted along. And, and e-commerce is certainly one of them. So when we look at this kind of from a macro perspective, the way that things had been progressing was that there was a proliferation of fulfillment centers being built all over the country. Um, in the last year, Dallas-Fort Worth had five different fulfillment centers that were being built. I know here in Michigan, I believe that we have four. Uh, typically, these fulfillment centers were a million square foot plus, and they were located um, adjacent to major international airports. So picture product flying in, gets unloaded into the distribution center, 
or the fulfillment center. And then from there, it goes to all different places in the country. So that works well uh, in a, a two-day shipping method, um, for example, like the traditional Amazon Prime. And, and what people don't realize is you know, just how ubiquitous a service like that is. Um, when I was with the company back in 2016, 44% of US households had Amazon Prime memberships, which is quite impressive. So what we're seeing now is the infrastructure is being pushed closer to the consumer. So like I said, whereas before you would have these insanely large fulfillment centers adjacent to major international airports, now the product needs to get closer to the consumer in order to expedite the process of delivery. So if we can rewind a little bit uh, back in, in time to June or July of um, 2019, so this is pre-pandemic, Blackstone announced the largest single acquisition of industrial only port, uh, prop properties in a portfolio. Uh, the portfolio total was $19.6 billion worth of industrial only properties, which I thought marked a turning point because when a huge purchaser like that is focusing exclusively on um, industrial properties, it sends kind of an alarm out to the system that this is something that's gonna be trickled down and there's gonna be a greater and greater interest in these types of properties. So the majority of those properties were actually what we call last mile fulfillment centers or cold storage. Now, last mile fulfillment centers are exactly what they sound to be. They're a fulfillment center that handles the last mile of delivery, which is typically the most expensive mile and probably the most important mile. Cold storage or refrigerated storage is an industrial warehouse that is refrigerated for the storage of different types of goods, for example, grocery. Now, if we rewind, rewind even further, um, Amazon purchased Whole Foods a number of years ago. I was actually with the company at the time. And one of the reasons that they purchased Whole Foods was um, it was one in the top five in terms of grocers by, by number of location in the United States. And um, I personally believe that Amazon wanted to piggyback on the distribution uh, methodology or the distribution chain that Whole Foods already possessed. Um, and you know, as time progresses, what we're seeing is an integration of, of these e-commerce experience into retail, into what we call an omni-channel fulfillment. Okay, and what that means is uh, omni-channel just means the ability for the consumer to complete their order in many different ways. So whereas in, back in the days, you know, the, the typical retail channel may have been a catalog, and then maybe when we were younger, the typical retail channel was in-store. Today, there's many different methods. So you've got the traditional in-store experience, right? Completely brick and mortar. You've got completely e-commerce experience. And then you've got what we call a buy online, pick up in-store, which is where somebody conducts their e-commerce order online, then goes to the store and picks it up. And it also works the other way too, right? A lot of people go to the store first, and then they purchase the item online. Interestingly enough, the buy, uh, buy online pickup in-store, I think is going to uh, continue to grow in popularity simply because it's so much cheaper for the retailer. Uh, if you look at the typical cost of fulfilling an e-commerce order that, that is traditionally, you know, as we think it, online only versus buy online pickup in-store, those costs of buy online pickup in-store are about 10% because the consumer themselves does the actual shipping, so to speak, for the retailer. So all these phenomena are kind of coalescing into one, you know, great big experience here. And, you know, the year 2020 was huge for e-commerce. Uh, Amazon saw its stock price, you know, nearly double. And um, we're just seeing a tremendous amount of growth. So if we want to dial down granularly into the actual numbers, in 2020, there were, five, listen to this number, 524.2 million square feet, okay? That's the amount of industrial space that was newly leased nationally in 2020. That figure is up 26.9% from 2019. 
That's an incredible increase. Industrial rents all across the board are going up. The demand is going up as there are more retailers who are pushing into this space. Obviously, the leaders in the space are Amazon and Walmart. Amazon in the top 10, I believe their market share is greater than, you know, the top of the top 10. Amazon represents a huge majority of that market share. Now, just as a little interesting insight as someone who was formerly with the company, Amazon typically has two different types of fulfillment centers. Again, usually upwards of a million square feet, which is huge and kind of ridiculous. So they've got the traditional fulfillment center that an individual works in, primarily you know, human operated. And then they have more of these robotic models. And the robotic model, it, you don't picture like all these robots going around sorting packages. It's actually very interesting. The individual stands in one location and they have these robotic shelves that go all around the fulfillment center, picking up the product, bringing it to the worker, and then the worker finishes the process off by packing the boxes. So I think that we're going to continue to see a proliferation in e-commerce um, shopping. And then obviously the industrial um, experience, the industrial revolution 2.0, as I call it, is going to obviously call for more square footage. Very curious to see how those numbers are coming for 2021. Um, another interesting factor is that people, when they think about, we're going to shift, shift topics a little bit, but they, it is still very, very relevant and related. When people think about what's going on in the auto sector, right? You look at a company like Tesla. Tesla is, 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 has more value to it as a company than the top, I believe, eight other automakers worldwide, okay? There's a huge phenomenon of electrified vehicles and autonomous vehicles that, you know, many are, are guessing by, you know, the mid-2030s, the majority of vehicles produced by major car companies are going to be electric. So how does that affect? I understand how that affects the day-to-day -day of the consumer, right? Um, there's certain benefits, you know, whether it's from a green perspective um, um, or from the perspective of now, you know, I can utilize my time in a vehicle for other purposes, right? Typically, the only times we're not on our phone is when we're sleeping or when we're in our car. Many people are on their phone when they're in their car. But with autonomous vehicles, individuals have an opportunity now to, you know, continue to transact, continue to purchase things while they're driving. So that's how people typically think about autonomous vehicles and electric cars. But the real beneficiary to this system is the freight system and then by trickle-down um, effect, the consumer. Because as is right now, uh, with the freight that's pushed all across the country, typically there are ordinances that an individual, a trucker who's driving these trucks, they have to stop and they have to rest every certain number of hours. They can't be driving 24-7. Well, fast forward, I don't know how long, but in the very near future, we're going to be seeing, I kid you not, dedicated lanes on the highways for autonomous semis who are going to be driving in flying V formation to save on fuel efficiency and cut down drag and increase uh, you know, uh, the, their ability to, to, tra to travel down those highways. And what that's going to do is that's going to allow that freight to get to the consumer faster because it, it theoretically never has to stop. So again, that's also going to fuel this industrial revolution as products are needed to get to the consumer faster and faster. And whereas in the last decade, two-day shipping was fine, now people are going to be looking more to two-hour shipping. So that model of the fulfillment center outside or adjacent to an international airport now needs to be pushed further down the supply chain. Now we need those fulfillment centers closer to the consumer. And what I picture happening is a lot of the vacancies in these major retail shopping centers are going to be converted to industrial space. And it's actually a beautiful play, and I'll explain it as follows. So over the last 50 or 60 years, malls have really been overdeveloped. And you know, you go to your local mall today and you think, oh, well, this mall is placed here because it's in a major population center. 
But typically that's untrue. What happened was when these malls were being developed, they were actually designed to pull the population away from major metropolitan areas along major freeway networks. Okay, fast forward 50 or 60 years, the population has been drawn to those developed areas. Now, with the major vacancies that we're seeing now and over the next few years, that space is actually prime for fulfillment centers. So I think that we're going to see an increase in a mixed use of retail and fulfillment centers. And another interesting point is that we're going to see these kind of rogue fulfillment centers. If you look at Amazon four-star stores, for example, those are, in a sense, a retail experience in brick and mortar but they're also providing Amazon the opportunity to take that product and get it closer to the consumer into those major retail areas, you know, inside of, you know, newly vacated spaces in malls. So, you know, that's just kind of a high level overview of what's going on in terms of how do you capitalize on that? Well, I mean, look at any, the early adoption of any major phenomenon. Those that got in early made the big money and industrial has been around forever. But right now it's booming. I mean, 27% increase in newly signed leases year over year is huge. So now I think I know 2021 is a year of opportunity and I highly encourage everyone out there to get in touch with your broker, preferably me, to discuss opportunities in the industrial space because that's going to be the asset of the future. Wow. <laughs> I don't know where to begin. And I, you know, I'm impressed because I know, I know you didn't have that any, like maybe it's a few notes or whatever, but you're just going off the top of the dome, man, you know, your stuff. Um, I also, you, you just jogged my memory here too. So for anyone who's, who's here live, or if you're watching the replay, do want to give you a teaser for an upcoming next level webinar by Mobina, which is on industrial grade investments. That's going to be on February 12th at 4 p.m. Pacific. So Dan just reminded me of that because he's talking about where the opportunities, 27% increase in leases, that's, that's crazy. And so if you don't get those answers here today, you can get more industrial info coming your way here soon. Just send an email to nextlevel at carswell.io, put in the subject line, industrial real estate webinar. <laughs> we'll get you taken care of. But anyways, Dan, uh, we had some questions come through there while you were going. One's actually for Seth, but want to keep it while it's hot. I mean, you were talking about where the opportunity is now. Again, we dropped that 27% increase number. Um, and, and we got a <laughs> got Zach Racinger coming in here. Racinger, sorry, almost said it wrong. Did you learn that? Dan, did you learn all that in uh, CREProCourse.com? Yeah, listen, Zach and I created CRE Pro Course, and I appreciate that shameless plug. We teach all of that in CRE Pro Course. So anybody who wants more of this valuable information, please register for that course. Love it. Love it. Yeah, guys, go ahead and check out that URL and, and spend some time with Dan and Zach. So um, as far as the best markets to find industrial deals in right now, what are some of the, the hot markets? What are the better markets to be looking at? Listen, the, the tri-state area is huge. New Jersey is huge. Um, I mean, there's it really the thing about industrial is that it doesn't, it often doesn't have to be around major population centers. So really nationwide, there are a lot of great markets and it's important, you know, to underwrite each asset, um, in a kind of, in, I don't want to say in a vacuum, but it's important to look at it for what it is with its underlying, you know, fundamentals of the of the, the real estate as well as the lease, the guarantor, et cetera. And that's why, you know, working with a good broker is essential. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard, for example, areas like Greenville, uh, South Carolina, I heard Memphis is actually not a bad market for that as well. And actually your, your backyard too. I think Detroit. That's right. Detroit. Yeah. Um, so Seth, uh, we'll, we'll shift it back over to here to you, but Dan, I'm sure we're going to have some more industrial real estate or industrial revolution <laughs> 2.0 questions coming your way. Paul, I know you said you had some, some, some thoughts there, but uh, Seth, 
this is, it seems like a little bit more of a personal question, but always good to talk deals and hear, especially what the guy who has the legal insight is doing. Uh, the question is, you know, just curious, what deals are you working on right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're vetting large multifamily deals, uh, mostly in the secondary and tertiary markets. You know, those, those really hot downtown areas are kind of burnt out, right? You're not going to get the returns that you want and that our investors want. Uh, you know, we just closed on a property in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's one of those really solid secondary markets that, you know, people don't necessarily look at all the time. And we're currently vetting a deal, another deal there right now. And believe it or not, we found a pretty decent deal in Austin, Texas that we're getting pretty close on. Uh, we're taking a look at and, and possibly opening that up to investors soon. Um, personally, we're also looking for an office building. And Dan, you can help me out with this, man. We're, we're, we're trying to take down an office building in San Diego. Um, we know one right now that has some restaurant space and, and uh, the restaurants went out of business. So there's some opportunity uh, below market, get that thing leased up. And we're actually going to use that for commercial brokerage office as well. So um, looking forward to that and, and always keeping our eyes out for opportunistic deals like senior housing and hospitality that have been hit pretty hard by the pandemic. But, you know, those two in particular are set classes that are going to come roaring back towards the end of this year or, you know, at least in 2022 with respect to hospital. Love it. Love it. And I have a, a quick question for you here, Dan, and then I see we got one from the panelists, anonymous one. Thank you for that question. We'll answer that one here soon, shortly too. And also want to let you guys know, we got about 10 minutes left of Q&A. So any burning questions that you do have, don't be shy. Use the Q&A box preferably. If you prefer to use the chat box, that's okay. Um, and then after we're done going live, we always like to do this for, uh, for our live attendees, add you a little bonus for being here with us. Once we stop the live recording, we are going to do a brief breakout session for those who are in attendance and, and want to hang out with the rock stars, Seth Bradley and Dan Lukowitz. So I uh, just want to drop that in there real quick. Uh, and Dan, so going to you first here, and then I'm going to answer this next one in the, in the chat. Um, I, I've noticed, and you're in the QSR space, the quick service restaurant, yeah, fast food space, right. which is pretty... Um, that is definitely, you know, it's an essential business. So it's seen a lot of changes, but it's also had to stay open. What right. are like, what are some of the changes we're seeing there? Because I think when you start to see what the essential businesses are doing, especially like a McDonald's or a Wendy's, that's also a very good, like, uh, it gives you good foresight and what to expect from other companies coming down the line. Yeah. I mean, I love quick service restaurant. I think it's, it's, it's uh, pandemic proof as we call it in our industry. It's recession resistant. I mean, the when major dining room when, when the dining rooms of major uh you know restaurants were closed all across the country here in michigan i mean we we were closed up until monday for the second time um people were using drive-thrus and uh you know i look at aerial photos all the time of quick service restaurants and it's incredible to see the drive-thrus like wrapping around the building multiple times um you know additionally uh during a recession those assets are typically also relatively stable because you know, people who, who are not affected, they're already not eating at those restaurants or the, you know, the middle level, fast, casual Applebee's like restaurants. Those who are eating in those, that middle band of restaurants, maybe are saving money now and, and eating at the quick service restaurants. So I think that that's, you know, something to keep in mind. Um, additionally, we're seeing that because, you know, the assets are open and, and, and cash flowing typically during this, this uh, time period, that the cap rates on those properties are actually going down. The, 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 the prices are typically... Um, going up on those assets. I think that that's, that's uh, quite fascinating. It's a phenomenon that's happening in, in several different sectors of the net, the net lease world um, as we speak. And we've seen that happen over the last year. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that the trends that we're seeing is that um, 
pretty much every retail fast food restaurant has announced a new prototype coming out in 2021. And almost without question, they all have smaller footprints. Taco Bell, for example, went down from approximately 2,400 square feet to 1,350. Um, so in addition to smaller footprints, we're also seeing multiple drive-through lanes, okay? Um, as well as some outdoor seating and even some kiosks. Uh, KFC just released a prototype not too long ago where they have kiosks where the food is placed in the kiosk and then the Uber or um, you know, the Grubhub driver will come pick it up and deliver it to the customer. So we're really seeing a lot of trends for simplicity, for frictionless, contactless uh, experiences. And, 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 and all of these companies are kind of forward thinking that the dining room is more of a thing of the past and people are um, you know, more of the traffic is coming through the drive-through. So that's been a big impact over the last year. I, I do like the encouragement of outdoor seating. I know it's kind of come from uh, more concern of people's health and safety, but it is nice to see that that's something that's being considered to, to promote more, um, at least for where I say definitely where Seth is over in San Diego, more outdoor seating wouldn't be too bad. And I was cracking up when you said the kiosk thing. I'm just thinking like in my head, I know obviously this isn't what it would look like, but in my head, I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't know if anyone really goes to the bank a whole lot anymore, but you used to go to the bank and you put a check or whatever in the tube and then it shoots up and goes into the bank. I'm like, what if that's how KFC just starts sending food? They're just shooting it through pipes out to people. Um, anyways, had to share that. So uh, to answer this question real quick, and also whoever entered this one, um, if you have any follow-up questions, it looks like you sent it anonymously. So just want to make sure that you're aware that you, that you did do that because um, you said hashtag Austin. I know a great local broker call me. If you're addressing that to Seth, just shoot him a message so we know who we're supposed to call. <laughs> um, and you said, congrats on all the success, Adam. Thank you. Uh, I love your interview with Grant Cardone. How would you recommend learning from your friends, Hunter Thompson and Michael Flight, smart guys with a positive outlook on the real estate market, both in syndication and crypto? Um, well, I think <laughs> it's funny. Definitely Michael and Hunter, they, they'd probably be quick to just let you know, like, yeah, they, they're intrigued by blockchain and cryptocurrency, but they're not necessarily, uh, like, especially Michael, he's, uh, he's more focused on security tokens, which would be, uh, you could say kind of like crypto, but it's, it's, it's tokens that are backed by a physical asset. Speaking of what Dan's talking about, triple net lease assets, like a Wendy's, like a McDonald's, like a KFC, also CVS, Walgreens, et cetera, essential businesses. So, um, just real quick, how to recommend learning from them. Just shoot, shoot me an email, shoot an email. As I mentioned, I dropped this earlier to next level at carswell.io. Would be happy to have a further conversation and connect you with those guys too. They're, they're pretty awesome. Definitely helped me get, get to where I'm at today. So um, given Dan's comments, Dan, <clears throat> how can one participate in this industrial trend? Yeah, good how question. About, is that a follow-up question here too? How about robotic food prep? Are you seeing that? It's like a two-part question. Yeah. So good question. I mean, the way that you'd participate in it is getting involved in deals, getting involved in industrial deals now. And, you know, typically that can mean purchasing them yourself and leveraging them, or it can mean, it can, you know, we kind of make a hybrid here. It can be some type of a, of a syndication, right? Uh, so there's a lot of industrial deals that are being syndicated. So get in touch with someone like me, someone like Steph, we can talk about uh, either you purchasing your own industrial property or getting involved in a syndication with other experts. Um, I would just say like the answer is get in. Uh, ro robotic food prep. I mean, I've seen some interesting um, operators or, you know, interesting companies that are coming out with food prep that, that, you know, not unlike what Adam was joking about, the food literally gets on a conveyor belt or in a tube and then comes to the consumer. I haven't seen much about the actual food being prepared robotically, but definitely delivered uh, to the consumer robustly, ro robotically. Awesome. 
Oh, that was okay. Zach, Zach coming in here big. All right. Well, we, we, we know we can make that connection there. Appreciate it, Zach. Um, another one from Zach, Dan, this is for you. Who is the best guest that you've had on your podcast? Dan on top. That's right. Dan is a podcaster as well. We didn't uh, mention that yet, but his show is he's, he's cranking out. I don't know. Actually you and Seth are both just firing out episodes left and right. I don't know. It'd be cool to stack them up next to each other, but uh, yeah. was it episode 26. Oh, did you have <laughs> Seth on your show? I had Zach on my show. Yeah, I had him on my show and he is not shy about it. I know that for a fact, <laughs> Zach, it's so funny because I know Zach watches every single one of my episodes. He often texts me about it, but I'll tell you something like just as a side note, I mean, I love it. I'm here at the studio um, where I record my show. It's on Roku. It's on Apple TV. It's on Amazon. It's on nrmstreamcast.com. And obviously it's on LinkedIn. We have our own um, page called Dan on Top. And I love it because I talk to people all over the country and they're like, yeah, I love, I love your show. I watch every episode. It's really cool. So yeah, Zach, I loved your episode. It was awesome. That has been, was a really great one. Um, I, 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 listen, I can't say that there's a, a best guest. I can say that as the host, I've learned so much from my guests and I, I have the privilege of interviewing people, all different types of people from all different aspects of the commercial real estate and ancillary services um, world. And they all you know, add a unique flavor. So I'm not going to single anybody out. Love it. Love it. Zach cracking me up. And then, I mean, you had some comments in there for Seth as well. Guys, be sure to check out both of their shows and we'll do the plug for Seth's now. Um, yeah, the Passive Income Attorney. Your, so his favorite episode, Zach's favorite episode was with Yona. Any feedback, any comments on that, Seth? Yeah, the episode was great. You know, you hear Yona talk about cost segregation all the time, but on my episode, he kind of got to tell his backstory and where he came from and, you know, kind of progressed to the person he is today. So it was a really unique perspective. Uh, if, you, if you haven't heard Yona Weiss, he's the cost segregation king. So uh, my episode was pretty unique because he got to tell his real story and where he came from. So I love that episode as well. Um, I think you asked who, what my favorite one was. I'll, I'll just go out on a limb. I'll, I'll, I'll name one. So the most recent ones was episode B. I don't know, three, I think, uh, with MC Lobster, the, the cash flow ninja. What a great guy. I mean, that guy, you can BS with him about cash flow and banking and all this kind of stuff for hours. I mean, you, I, I, Dan, have you interviewed him yet? You put no, you two in you a room. That, I was like, dude, I got to interview him. <laughs> put you two in a room, man. You guys can interview each other for hours, man. It's yeah. incredible the, the amazing amount of knowledge that he has, so. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to MC, the Cashflow Ninja. He's, um, you know, his, when I first found out about him, it, it was all about, you know, how are the centimillionaire and the billionaire families operating? And, you know, he, he's all about hacking it and providing that information to his listeners so that way they can get to that level. So um, cool. We're going to start winding it down now. But as I mentioned, if you want to hang tight here and, and stay tuned in, we are going to do a breakout session with Seth and Dan after we switch off the live button. Another reason to remember, as you register for the next next level webinar, a reason to, to come and visit us here live. So um, here we go. Dan, Seth, <laughs> uh, any, any closing remarks, any closing words? We'll start. I said Dan and Seth, so I guess we'll start with Dan and, and then Seth. Yeah, just, uh, you know, take the opportunity. Like people people are, are scared. People are taking their foot off the gas. And when I see people taking their foot off the gas uh, and putting their foot on the brake, I put both my feet on the gas. And that's that's worked well for me. So I would just say, capitalize on this opportunity. Don't look back. There's so much out there. Network with great people and most importantly, have fun. 
Yeah, I'll just add to that. I mean, I think that, you know, to take advantage of the opportunities in 2021 and beyond, you've just got to, you know, look where people aren't looking. So, you know, I said the things that I'm investing in right now are multifamily. A lot of people are in the multifamily space, but you're going to have to start looking in other places, look in the second tertiary markets or look in the submarkets of the submarkets of, let's say, Austin or somewhere like that. And then look at these asset classes that uh, didn't do so well last year, but you can see them coming out of the pandemic on top, like hospitality, uh, like senior living, things like that, that are going to figure out a way to get, get through this and really uh, dominate in 2021, 2022. Love it. Love it. All right, guys. Well, if you found value in today's message and you're here with us on the replay, be sure to like, share, and subscribe there. As we mentioned, it really helps us bring on future high-level guests to next-level webinars, just like Dan and Seth. Um, again, the title of today's presentation was From Uncertainty to Opportunity, How to Capitalize in Commercial Real Estate in 2021. Um, one more big big thank you to our team here and everyone who put in some time and energy to make this happen. I almost forgot. We need to put your contact information uh, in the chat and then as well uh, um, just have you guys share the best way to get in touch. So What's the single one best way for anyone tuned in right now to follow up and get in touch with you guys? We'll start yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn, Dan Lukowitz, L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Also, I'll give you my cell phone, 248-943-2838. Again, 248-943-2838. Happy to add value any way I can. If you've got a commercial property and you want to know what it's worth, give me a call. Myself and my team will put together a complimentary, no obligation value proposal for you. Yeah, for me, I'm all over social media, so you can just look me up. It's, it's going to be slash Seth Paul Bradley. That's going to be the, the name on everything. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then one last thing, I got to plug the cash flow calculator. It's, uh, it's a spreadsheet that you can plug in all your passive investments, and it'll calculate and visualize how you can start buying back your time. So you can get to see uh, some estimates of your returns when you invest in these syndications. Uh, and you can download that at intelligentpassiveinvestor.com. Nice. Nice. Thank you very much. We'll definitely get that one uh, in the show notes, guys. Make sure you check it out. Aaron, and speaking of show notes, Aaron, who's our assistant over here at, at All Things Next Level, thank you for all the hard work you've been putting in behind the scenes today, man. Um, all right. Well, here we go. <laughs> we made it to the end. Guys, thank you one more time, as I mentioned, to our audience and for investing your most valuable resource with us here today, your time at Next Level Webinars. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Adam Carswell. And remember, in all you think, say, and do, take it to the next level.